Esther chapter 7 tonight. Esther chapter 7. I am more and more enthralled with this book of Esther. I've just, uh, I've been blessed by it. In fact, uh, I was visiting with Brother Ed the other day and we were just talking about how this has made the incidences that happen in our present life so in tune with the absolute sovereignty of God and that he is involved in all things. Nothing is left to chance or to luck, but everything is carried out according to his divine providence and his will. It was of the Lord's sovereign pleasure to put Esther in the Persian Empire, for many of the same lump were left behind. It was the Lord's sovereign pleasure that Queen Vashti was disposed, and Esther, the Jewish, was made the queen. God's sovereign pleasure took place in that. Many that interviewed for the same position are not remembered anymore. Whatever happened to them? We find it's the Lord's sovereign pleasure that Esther was accepted by her husband when she approached him without permission. Many of the same lump, no doubt, were carried out in chains and met a bad end at the pleasure of King Ahasuerus. But we read with regard to Esther that the Lord was pleased to have her come in and make a petition that we're going to read about. Of the same lump, God said, of the same lump. Now, everybody that God has ever saved has had a time that they were at enmity, were enmity, not at enmity, but enmity with God. But we never find a time that God was angry with his people. He loved them with an everlasting love. Now, here in this chapter, we find that uh, Queen Esther has asked the second time to have a banquet. A banquet of wine is what it's called. Now, what they did there, they socialized, and we're going to find out that they probably all were on cots or beds, like in the time the Lord Jesus was here. They reclined. It was the custom of the day. Well, we're going to find here in just a few minutes that Haman comes to her bed, her cot that she has there. And uh, we'll see what's going on there. All right, in verse 1 of this, so king, the king and Haman came to banquet with Esther the queen. Now, just remember, in our last lesson, we looked at the Haman. Uh, he thought that the king was asking about some important person like him. And he made all kinds of notes about how someone of importance should be treated. And he thought in his heart this could only be about him. And then we find the punchline. King Ahasuerus says, go do that to Mordecai. And you lead him around on my horse with my crown, with my robe. And it just appears that Haman had the interest in being the king for the day at least, but Mordecai has that all on him, and he's to go around and shout before him, 
Such happens to the people who please the king. Such happens to the people who please the king. Now, when Haman gets home, he informs his wife and friends that are there of what happened. And we notice that there was a statement made by Haman's wife. This doesn't look good. Now we're the next day. And we have Haman and the king and Esther are there. Now probably we're going to have servants there. But for our purpose, we just see that there are three people there. We have the inviter and we have the invitees. We have Queen Esther inviting her husband, King Ahasuerus. And we have Esther inviting Haman to be here at this meeting. It's a very important meeting for the queen. She has a great deal of interest in this meeting. So uh, we know that the reason that Esther has asked for this banquet, but we find out, we've read ahead. (laughs) We know the end of the story. But at this time, King Ahasuerus doesn't know. King Ahasuerus is ignorant of the issue. He's ignorant of the problem. In fact, it appears, as we read through there, that uh, Haman kind of put it through on the speedy, uh, pushed it through to get rid of all these Jews, and the king really didn't investigate. He just trusted this man, and we find that the law has been passed. All right, so we have that uh, these three people are there. One of them knows exactly what she wants to do, and the other people are ignorant of the meeting. Probably Haman thought he's going to be honored in some way, and probably that King Ahasuerus uh, thought maybe she's going to give some honor to me. We know that Esther has knowledge of what she wants to ask. It tells us there in verse 2, the king said again unto Esther on the second day at the banquet of wine. Now he's already mentioned this in the previous day. Up to half of my kingdom you can have. But he uses a couple words in here. He says, at the banquet of wine, what is thy petition, Queen Esther? And it shall be granted thee. And what is thy request? Now, Queen Esther, being a jewel, is going to use those exact same words in response as she makes her request. The exact same words in exactly the same order. Now, she is being blessed by the Lord. You know, we find that the disciples are told when you stand before the court, don't worry so much about what you're going to say. I'll supply that. Now, what is that? I'm going to cause you to remember my word. That's it. That's what I'm going to have you do. Well, here we find that the Lord no doubt prompted her, just like we find with regard to Cyrus King. He pushed, he prompted, he caused Cyrus to say, go back to Israel, go back to Jerusalem, go back to Judah. And here we find that Queen Esther is being prompted to make sure that her requests follow right in line with what King Ahasuerus has said. He's mentioned exactly these same words in the day before. We have them repeated here. The king said at the banquet of wine, what is your request? What is your petition? All right. As we travel down here, we find that I ask myself, what would I request? You know, 
I would like to think, but I know the difference. I am like you. I'm like all Christians. I'm a recovering Pharisee. I go back to that passage of Scripture where Solomon was made king. We read this in a previous study. But when Solomon was made king, he was asked, what will you have? What do you want? What do you need? And let's just go over there. Second Chronicles chapter 1. 2 Chronicles chapter 1. What a statement that this man, this king, this person in a high position mentions in Second Chronicles chapter 1 and there in verse 7. Second Chronicles chapter 1 and verse 7. In that night, Second Chronicles chapter 1 verse 7, we have God coming to Solomon. Now, I'm convinced that the Lord has already visited with Esther. just as he does with us in the night seasons. She has been quite concerned about what's going on. And we're going to find out, as the Lord instructed her, don't go to Mordecai anymore. Don't go to your chamberman's anymore. You have a request to make to the only person that can change the thing. And that's the king of Ahasuerus. And she would risk her life for that. Now, we also remember that Mordecai, I said... If it's not you, it will be somebody that will set the people of God free. But go here, Second Chronicles chapter 1 and verse 7. In that night did God appear unto Solomon. Now, Solomon didn't have what we have in our hands tonight. He didn't have the word of God like we handle. Now, God appears to us out of his word. God comes to us out of his word. God visits us out of his word. That's why we are told in the scriptures, the Lord Jesus said with regard to the Old Testament, that Moses and all the prophets spoke of me. Well, as here we have Solomon is visited by God. What a, and we have the same thing here for us tonight. We have the record of it. It's just as... It's just as true tonight about what happened to Solomon as it was when it happened to Solomon. God's people completely trust what is happening here, that God would come and visit this new king. And Solomon said unto God, Thou hast showed great mercy unto David my father. You know what the greatest mercy God ever showed David? That he did not have his sin imputed to him. All right. Thou hast showed great mercy unto David my father, and hast made me to reign in his stead. You know, if we go back at the history of the thing, there were two or three other boys that were had that that uh, crown in, kind of like Haman. They had it in mind. They were also in line for the crown, and God had already chosen Solomon. Now, why was Solomon chosen over the others? He's in direct line to the Messiah. He must be put. There would be a king until Shiloh come. There would be a scepter. All right. Solomon said unto God, Thou hast showed great mercy unto David my father, and hast made me to reign in his stead. Where did he acquaint or uh, credit the reign? From God. 
Now, O Lord God, let thy promise unto David my father be established. For thou hast made me king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude. Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people. You know, when we get over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, where is our wisdom? Our wisdom's Christ. That's essentially what he's saying. Let me be led by the Messiah, Christ. That I might go out and come in before this people, for who can judge thy people that is so great? And God said to Solomon, because this was in thine heart, that thou hast not asked riches, wealth, or honor, nor the life of thy enemies, neither yet ask, uh, hast asked long life, but hast asked wisdom and knowledge for thyself, that thou mayest judge my people over whom I have made thee king. Wisdom and knowledge is granted unto thee, and I will give thee riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings have had that have been before thee, neither shall there any after thee have the like. So God gave to him wisdom and knowledge plus all the rest. Well, we have here that Esther has demonstrated great wisdom and she has demonstrated great knowledge and the Lord appears to her, I'm convinced, in much the same way. We don't have that, but we don't have the name of God in this book, but we have his fingerprints all over it. We know that God is here. I remember an account of a man speaking of a herd of cows and the herd of cows came to a river and you couldn't see the tracks any longer, but once you crossed the river, the tracks came out. So he says, I'm pretty sure that the cows that went down to the river came out of the river because there's tracks on both sides. Well, whether God's name is in here or not, God's fingerprints are all over everything that's taking place. You know, we find in the book of James that sometimes we don't have our prayers answered. Why? Because we ask amiss. We ask amiss. Let's just read that over in the book of James, chapter 4 and verse 3. James, chapter 4 and verse 3. As King Ahasuerus asked his wife, his queen, the queen of the realm, what do you want? He uses two words there. And we're going over to the book of James, chapter 4 and verse 3. James, chapter 4 and verse 3. And we have these recorded. James 4 and verse 3. And it says here, Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Now, no, God help us from doing that. God prevent us from doing that. But sometimes it's what we want what we want. <laughs> All right. But we also find out that God, when he takes us out of the pit and places this on the solid rock. John chapter 14 and verse 13. Turn there with me. John chapter 14 and verse 13. As we think about the, the prayer that we have, the request that we make. Oh, thank God that the Holy Spirit is on our side when it comes to prayer. God is on our side. God has ever loved his church. God has ever protected his church. God is on our side. It's not, uh, 
You know, he didn't put a mark in the sand and say, I dare you to cross it. He's on our side. He's defending us. He's standing up for us. He's making intercession for us. He has us in the, as the apple of his eye. He's taking care of his people to the fullest. He has never done anything wicked or ornery to his people. Now, he may test us, but it's not because he's punishing us. He's testing us. All right, here in the book of, of John chapter 14 and verse 13 it says, For whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, as you keep that in mind, let's go over to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. It's so important that we compare Scripture with Scripture. Why, if we look at that one verse of Scripture, we're going to say, well, I can just ask anything and say Jesus after it, and he's going to take care of it. Well, let's go over here to the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. Romans chapter 8. We've been here several times as we've gone through the book of Esther, and it's been such a good visit. It tells us here that the Spirit helpeth our infirmities. Thank God, the Spirit helpeth our infirmities. It is God's interest to take care of us. It is God's interest to say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It is God's interest that all the Father giveth me shall come unto me, and he that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. I will not give you a bad day. I will watch over you. All right, here it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know what we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit also maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, I've stopped there too many times. Read the next verse with me. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. He maketh intercession for the saints according to God's eternal purpose. I'm so thankful that he intervenes. He, he helps us with our prayers. He, we know not how to pray as we ought. I think that probably Esther was caught up in that for a season. I just don't know what to do. In fact, we find that Mordecai came to her and says, don't think for a moment that you're going to be exempt from this. Every Jew has been sentenced by this. Don't think for a moment that just because you're the wife of the king, you will be exempt from this. All Haman has to do is come and say, she's a Jew and you're dead. All right. So we see here that the prayers of God's people are so important, but they're the prayers that God gives us that are important. What God does for us, according to the will of God, the king's question, what is thy petition and request? Back there in the book of Esther, chapter 7 and verse 2, what is thy petition and what is thy request? And we've mentioned that the queen uses the same exact words. You know, I find nothing better sometimes in my prayer than to go to the word of God because God loves his word. And God loves to hear his word. And when we were going through the Psalms, I said, this is the prayers I wish I could pray. So why not use it? I can pray these prayers. All right, going back to the book of Esther, chapter 7, and there in verse 2, the king said, what is thy petition, Queen Esther, and what is thy request? 
Verse 3, Then Esther the queen answered and said, if I, have no, if I have found favor in thy sight, if I found grace in thy sight, if I have found grace in thy sight, if I have found unmerited favor in thy sight. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You know, when I was growing up, he was just a special kind of guy. He didn't do bad things like everybody else. It wasn't like the rest of the world. You know, if we interviewed Noah, if we could interview him, he says, I was a blasphemer. I hated God. He tracked me down. I didn't like it. We were talking tonight on that Zoom meeting that if God gathered everybody in the world and said, okay, all of you that want to uh, come to me and trust me and have me, you know what would, people would say? I hate you for calling me to this meeting because that's our real attitude towards God. So we depend on him drawing us. And that drawing is sovereign drawing from Almighty God to God. So he gets involved seriously. All right, as we go down through here, we find, O king, if it pleases the king, let my life be given me at my petition. Same word he used. And the next one, and my people at my request. Same word he used. What is your petition and what is your request? And she said, grant my life and my people's life. All right? Now, she says something in verse 4 that's very interesting. She says, for we are sold, and I and, I and my people, to be destroyed to be slain and to perish. But if we had been sold for bondmen and bondwomen, what does she say she would do? I wouldn't be bringing this up. I would not be troubling you if we were just going to be sold into slavery. Now, in some ways, all the folks that brought, were brought to the Persian Empire, they were slaves. They were servants. Now, they may have reached a very high position as Queen, the Queen Esther did, but they still were servants in the Persian Empire. I had held my tongue. I would have not brought it up. I would not be bothering you. I would not be here at this banquet of wine. I would not be making a request. I would not be making a petition if we were just going to be sold. Although the enemy could not countervail the king's damage. Then the king Ahasuerus answered and said unto Esther the queen. Now this is the first time he recognizes he's been informed that there is a real issue going on in his kingdom. The word has been sent out. He commanded it to be sent out. But he does not realize the fullness of that request. King Ahasuerus said to Esther the queen, who is he? Who is he? And where is he that durst presume in his heart to do this? Who is he and where is he? Now, as we look at this verse of Scripture, we find there in Psalm 41, verse 9, my own familiar friend in whom I trusted. Now, who would 
even bringing accusation against Haman and the relationship that he had with the king. They were two peas in a pod. They were in agreement. He had been promoted. But do you know what? He'd been promoted to that position on purpose by Almighty God, just like Queen Esther had been promoted to her position by Almighty God. And one is to glory and the other is to destruction. He raised him up for one reason and one reason alone that he might show his power in him. Now, we could say the same thing about Esther. She was raised to her position that God might show his power in her. What's his power of grace? Power of mercy, power of love, power of eternal purpose of God. And on the other side of the same lump, we have Haman that has, is going to be demonstrated as those of dishonor. Well, let's go through here and notice this. Who is he? Verse 5, and where is he that durst presume in his heart to do so? I can only imagine the king, as he's thinking about that, who would be my enemy like this? Now, we know that he's had two. Mordecai identified him. King Ahasuerus had him disposed of. And how much later do we have King read from the Chronicles that Mordecai did him a great favor and pointed those folks out? Well, here Esther said, the adversary and the enemy is this wicked Haman. I imagine you could hear a pin drop, at least on Haman's part, when he is identified as a wicked man. You know, the Lord spoke about the same folks as this man is, only at one time they're on the left-hand side. They are in the judgment. And they can plead as Haman, I am second in command. What do you mean? I honor the king. What do you mean? I've raised people from the dead. What are you talking about? I've been gracious. I've been, I've taken care of my family. I've done all those things and I've honored the king. But here we find that she has, he has been identified as wicked. The enemy is this wicked Haman. Then Haman was afraid before king and king and queen. You know, I think of Judas when he turned over the Lord Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and saw what happened. As we mentioned in the past, it says he repented, but that word repented is not the same word that God works in the hearts of his people. He did not grant the repentance he grants to the elect, to Judas. Judas was sorry he got caught, and Haman is sorry he's caught. The king arising from the banquet of wine in his wrath went into his palace garden. You know, I wrote in my notes, he went to count to ten. <laughs> He is upset. He is angry. He is really angry that this has happened there and he has fallen for it. He went into the garden and Haman stood up and made request for his life to Esther the queen. For he saw that there was evil determined against him by the king. 
And then the king returned out of the palace garden into the palace place of the banquet of wine, and Haman had fallen upon the bed whereupon Esther was. Now, she was reclined, the queen was reclined, a king was reclined, Haman was reclined, and Haman is over there begging for his life. Now, it doesn't go well. That doesn't bode well when the king comes back in and sees what's going on. And he makes this statement, as the word went out, will he force the queen? Will he rape the queen also before me in the house? As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Now, that gives us some uh, information that there were some servants there. And it was the custom, and it has been a custom in many countries, that when someone was arrested, they, their face was not to be seen by royalty or anybody else. They were to be covered up. So they instantly went over there. This man's in serious trouble, and he is going to be arrested. In fact, we're going to find out he's going to be hanged that very night, but his face is covered up. Oh, what a statement is made about those that God said, doth not the potter have power over the clay of the same lump to make those to honor and those to dishonor? They shall not even see. Well, we know that without Christ, we see nothing. Haman saw nothing. Uh, Turn with me, if you will, to the book of the Psalms the book of the Psalms, Psalm 16, Psalm 16. In Psalm 16, we find what purpose was Haman? What purpose? Well, you know, we can say this about a lot of infamous people that are in history. Uh, You know, for a long time, uh, Adolf Hitler's name was used to come up with the formula for the man of sin. Richard Nixon's name was too. (laughs) You can do anything that you want to with numbers and letters to prove anything you want to prove. You know who the real man of sin is? (laughs) Thank God for grace. Thank God for grace. All right, let's look at this. Psalm, Psalm 16, Psalm 16. Why did this all happen? I wanted the one that says, uh, Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. God hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. And I've written down the wrong one here. You have it right there, Mike? He's working on it. (laughs) Thank the Lord for electronics. Proverbs, ooh, uh, you know, I was only a book off. <laughs> Proverbs sixteen four. There we go. We're going to correct this. Proverbs sixteen four, and this is the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Jehovah, Jehovah hath made all things for Himself. Yea even the wicked for the day of evil. Nothing has been made that was not made by God, 
and nothing has been made that God did not have a purpose in. And here we have Haman. The Lord hath made Haman for himself, yea, even Haman for the day of evil. The wicked, this wicked one, how it, it comes out. And of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another to dishonor. In First Peter chapter 2, First Peter chapter 2, we read these words. You know, I used to skip over these verses. I don't know about you, but I'd skip over them because uh, they were just too harsh. Just too harsh. We, you know, God, he's gracious, but he has a people that he has ordained. What is a stumbling, a stone of stumbling? First Peter chapter 2 and verse 8, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Haman was appointed to that. On the converse of that, Esther was appointed to that. She was appointed to that. Mordecai was appointed. Haman was appointed. Ahasuerus was appointed. All those people were appointed. And in Jude, following this theme just a little further, in the book of Jude, chapter 1. Jude chapter 1. Well, there's only one chapter in Jude. Jude chapter 1 and verse 4, it says, For there are certain men crept in unawares. Jude chapter 1, verse 4, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ, ordained to this condemnation. Who made a difference between Haman and the Apostle Paul? One was chosen as a vessel of honor. One was chosen as a vessel of dishonor. In conclusion, go with me back to the book of Esther for just, I think it's two verses, the book of Esther. God's eternal purpose being carried out in all the activities that are taking place in this book. He has left his fingerprints all over this book. He has shown us that he is the sovereign ruler. He's the king. He has kings. He takes kings. He has his way with all kings. As rivers of water are turned, so he does that with kings. And it tells us there in verse uh, uh, chapter 7 and verse 9, And Harbona, one of the chamberlains, said before the king, Behold also the gallows, fifty cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai, who had spoken good for the king, standeth in the house of Haman. Then the king said, Hang him thereon. Now it's interesting that news has already got to these servants. What Haman has planned to do with Mordecai. And in verse 10, so they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then was the king's wrath pacified. Now, you know, I find almost the same wordage over in the book of Numbers two or three times when God sent out a plague and then was he pacified. 
this Sunday, not this Sunday, because Lance is going to be here, but the next time we speak, there was a man that got involved and God granted him a covenant of peace. You know, that's what he did for for uh, Esther. That's what he did for Mordecai. He granted a covenant of peace. God's going to take care of this now. God's going to take care of this. And who's going to fill Haman's spot? Read chapter 8, 9, and 10. We'll stop there tonight.